0: I want to commend you for coming together on Thursday nights to look at the instruction book and see uh, that, the book written by the Creator and see what's best. And so, if, if you have your U you version or you, you have your Bible with you, uh, Exodus 34, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read from there in a minute. Now, obviously it's valuable when you go to church, when you come to things like this, have, have other people share with you insights from God's Word, but obviously skill you want to develop is to do that yourself. And uh, so I'll mention a couple things about that as we, as we actually study it tonight. Uh, one of those is context. And so while you're looking up Exodus 34, let me give you a little bit of context for that. Book of Exodus is after the Israelites have left Egypt. Um, they come to Mount Sinai. At the beginning of Exodus, Moses goes up on the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments carved in the stone. While he's up there, the Israelites are busy breaking most of the Ten Commandments down in the camp. And so when Moses comes down, he sees what's going on. He realizes that he actually throws down the tablets and they break. And so now, Exodus 34, he's back on the mountain. God says, okay, let's do this again. Carve out tablets. We're going to put the Ten Commandments again and send it down. And so that's the context of when God speaks to Moses, so he's already given them the Ten Commandments. They've broken them. And so he, he talks about, it's reassuring for him to talk about his qualities. And you've kind of marched through these over the last several weeks. And so I'm going to pick up, cover, read the ones that you've already covered, and then get to the, the verse for tonight. Verse thir- uh, 6 of Exodus 34, Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. And then what we're going to talk about tonight, verse, um, the second part of verse 7, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now probably some questions come to mind when you hear that. First of all, wow, that was kind of a left turn. Uh, Isn't that even contradictory to what he just said and why did he end with that? And so we're going to talk through how, how do we understand God's intent and, and, and specifically the meaning of what was talked about. And the way to do it is I'm gonna, we're going to talk, talk through three obstacles um, that prob- might keep us from seeing uh, how this fits in in the truth that God is speaking to the Israelites. Uh, the first one is uh, this is not a contradiction to what he had said before. It's a contrast to what he had said before. It's a balancing truth. It's the other side of the coin. Um, now, another way when you're studying God's Word, after you've looked at the context, is to look at any parallel passages. Other things that where the same thing is said or something similar is said that might shed more light. And this isn't the first time Moses heard that truth. The first time he heard it was when God gave him the Ten Commandments back in Exodus chapter 20. In fact, the that concept is a part of the Ten Commandments. And so I'm going to go back to Exodus chapter 20 when God is giving one of the commandments, listen to what he says, and it it gives a little more information that that will help us as we go on. Um, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Now listen to what he says. This is part of that commandment. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now this adds a little bit more clarity and when we're seeking to understand what we read there in Exodus chapter 34. Because here he, he mentions something that's not mentioned in Exodus 34. And, and that is a, a main major issue here is relationship. The, 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 the negative consequences he's talking about, he says, for those who hate me. And then the things you talked about, uh, showing loving kindness to thousands, for those who love me. And so he, here's a, a basic truth, which then is repeated in the New Testament. It is, here's the truth. Outside of a relationship with me, this is God talking, uh, sin will destroy you. I think, I think that's the truth he wants them to understand. Now, the good news is it doesn't have to destroy you. But outside of relationship with me, sin will restore, destroy you, and he doesn't want them to forget that. And he doesn't want them to not share that with those who need a relationship with him. And that's consistent with what we find in the New Testament. Talk about, in fact, New Testament is very straightforward. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll read just portions from chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Verse 3, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Verse 12, you were without hope and without God in the world because you can't change it yourselves. I can't change it myself. Now, he doesn't pull any punches. That is not sugar-coated. But then he goes on to say the, the good news that you all celebrated and sang with sincerity earlier. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he has for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Now, the bad news, which he talks about there at the beginning of Ephesians chapter two is what makes the good news, good news. See, we do a disservice when we only talk about one side of the coin. I mean, we need to celebrate and, and preach and share the love and patience and forgiveness, et cetera, of God. But we do a disservice to that love and grace if we don't tell the whole story, what he saved us from, how far it took for him to do what we couldn't do to save us. And, and, and here are some of the, the problems that come when we leave out my part of the verse there in Exodus chapter 34, when we don't make that part of the picture, whether we're sharing with someone who needs to know Christ, or whether we're just reflecting upon our personal walk. One, it gives us a false sense of security. We, um, when I was in Pennsylvania, or rather in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, the the, um, auditorium of our church was, um, we had a balcony, so the ceiling was very high, maybe 40 feet high to the ceiling, the ceiling you could see. Now, it was a kind of a drop ceiling. It was actually metal girders up above the ceiling. So we had to pe- people work on our building and I had a conversation with one one time. He was up there on the girders and afterwards he says, the, 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 one, the jobs I hate working on the most are the ones that have that drop ceiling because it gives me a false sense of security. If I come off this girder, I'm not gonna follow the two feet to the ceiling that I see I'm going to fall 40 feet down on the, the uh, chairs at the bottom. He says, uh, it, "It is that false sense of the security is more dangerous than if I could actually see how far it was to, to where it, I would end up. Interestingly, I saw a news story tonight that basically confirms that. It, it looked at the different jobs people have and where the most injuries take place. And it said most injuries do not take place on the most dangerous jobs because they know it's dangerous. And they have safety precautions and they're careful. It's the moderately dangerous ones where most of the injuries take place because they have a false sense of security. And so we need to paint the whole picture for people. In fact, if we don't share the bad news, the good news doesn't seem so good. And that's the next thing. If we're gonna appreciate what God has done for us, we need that second part of verse seven. We need to be, even after he saved us from that, we need to be aware of that. So again, picture yourself up on the girder working and you slip a little bit and you look and it looks like the floor is two feet away. You think, oh no big deal. But, but if that, that ceiling wasn't there and you slip, it's like, oh I'm so thankful that I didn't fall. And and we need to keep that in our mind so we can keep that appreciation alive and, and the depth of our appreciation will go beyond just hey, feel, feeling good. We'll recognize what God saved us. Without the bad news, the good news becomes expected and even a sense of entitlement in our minds because we are not entitled to the love and the forgiveness of God. It is a gift he has given us. And it should shake us to the core. And quite honestly, listening to you to sing a few moments ago tells me you've, you've got a pretty good grasp on that the depth of your appreciation. You have to know you're perishing before you ever want to be rescued. And that, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that goes when we share it with other people. So the first issue is this is not a contradiction to what he, God had just said about his character, his loving kindness, it's a contrast. The second thing we, we need to talk about is what are the consequences of sin. When he talks about visiting the sins, what, what, what kind of consequences are there? What, what can he be talking about? Um, now, in Exodus 20, the one I, I read after Exodus 34, it, it does it in a different order. In Exodus 34, he starts with all the good things, and then he talks about the bad thing. But that's a warning because he'd already told them before. The first time he tells them... In the Ten Commandments, he starts with the bad news. He starts with visits the sins of the fathers in the third and fourth generations. And then he says, but I, of those who hate me. Then he goes to say, but my loving kindness to a thousand. So he starts with the bad news. And and that is a reminder that sin will destroy us if we go down that path. New Testament confirms that again. James 1.14 uh, but when each person is tempted, he's lured and enticed by his own desire. But when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So again, bad, bad news. What are the consequences? Now, if there's an obstacle in this part of, of the verse, especially when we bring in Exodus 20, it's the word jealous. Uh, I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. Now most of the time from our perspective there's a negative connotation to that. When we think of jealousy we think of pettiness or vindictiveness. And and that's not true of God. Because pettiness means it's motivated by little things. God's jealousy is motivated by big things like justice. And so uh, jealousy is not entirely a negative thing if the reason for it is something of that goes with the character of God. And justice is rooted in the character of God. We just finished, a, actually at our church, a series on the Ten Commandments. And one of the things we, we saw was that with each commandment, it real, reveals something about God's character that would, should make us wanna love him more. And we, we talked about not bearing false witness, and one of the things we said is, God isn't just truthful, or he doesn't just want you to be truthful, for me to be truthful. God isn't even just the source of truth. He is truth. Uh, philosophers say he is the ground of all being. I like to say God is the frequency to which all of creation is tuned. And so when we sin, we are now in dissonance with the ground of all being and the rest of creation. Um. The idea that it vindictive, i read, this is kind of sad, but I read several years ago about, about a guy in Russia who thought he had the ability to move things with his mind. And, and he was gonna prove it, and the way he was gonna prove it was he was gonna step in front of a freight train and prove and stop it, is what he said he was gonna do. Now, I think you can guess how that ended, tragically. Now, was the freight train vindictive? <laughs> no, that was just physics. And when it comes to the consequences for sin, that's not God being vindictive. That's just spiritual physics. That's what happens. Now, to understand consequences of sin, let me use this example. Let's say I go out and I drive, and maybe I'm angry, whatever, and I drive recklessly, and I end up running into someone else, hurting them, but also breaking my arm. Now, there, there are several consequences to me doing that. One of them is I have to stand before a judge, and he will determine my guilt. So guilt is one consequence of sin, and that's usually what we think about. Because, because of that guilt, there's going to be a punishment. Uh, but let's say the judge is gracious, and he says, I declare you um, not guilty. Actually, if we we're going to make it, make it um, comparable to God, he would say, you are guilty, but I am going to pay your fine." Because that's what God did. God doesn't say we're not guilty; He says you're guilty, but I'm Jesus paid the price. So now your guilt is taken care of. We call that justification. Justify, justify means just as if I'd never sinned because of what Jesus did. But as you walk out of the courtroom, your guilt has been removed. But is your arm still broken? Yes, it is. That's a temporal consequence. Uh, it's different than your guilt. It's, it's a practical consequence of your sin. And so you still need to heal. And the, and the same thing is true, true for us. When, when we sin, we're separated from God because of Jesus. Our guilt is justified. But we still have brokenness that has to be dealt with. And so sanctification is what helps us deal with that. One other dimension, though, is if I hit somebody else, there's another issue. My sin has impacted other people, and and that is a big, um, probably the biggest part of what God is talking about when He says, "I visit the sins of the fathers on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me." Um, and, and so we'll, let's get into that, okay? So the first thing is, it's not a contradiction, it's a contrast. Second thing is, understand there's different types of consequences of sin. And, and this, the third one we want to talk about is, is the role of choice in all this. If, if Probably the biggest obstacle to the, the portion of verse 7 that, that I'm talking about is that it sounds like the children and the grandchildren are victims. They have no choice. Their parents did something, and now they are suffering for it. And of course, that that doesn't ring true with us. But let's, let's go through the different consequences of sin. First of all, there's guilt. Is God saying he visits the guilt of the parents on the children? Well, he answers that question for us in Ezekiel chapter 20. In Ezekiel chapter 20, in fact, the Israelites were accusing God of doing that. This is what they said. They said, the the word of the Lord came to me, and God says, what do you mean by repeating this proverb? The fathers eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. And so that's what the Israelites were saying. Listen, our parents are the ones who messed up. and Now look at all this stuff we have to deal with. You're, you're punishing us for what our parents did. And, and this is his... God's answer, as I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used in Israel. Behold, the souls, all souls are mine, the soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine, but it is the soul who sins who will die. It's the individual who has the guilt who will receive the punishment for the guilt. First, then jump down to verse 20. He repeats that. The soul sins will die. The son will not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon themselves. And so God makes it clear, this idea of he's not what he's not visiting on the children and grandchildren is the guilt of the father. But we said there's other, other consequences to sin besides guilt. Uh, the other one we, we talked about was brokenness and the way it impacts other people. And so, in fact, he tells a parable there in Ezekiel 20 about a righteous father who is a sinful son who is a righteous son. Each generation was different. Now, if, if your parents ignored God and did all kinds of th- things that, that uh, brought consequences on them, and that happened while you were in the house, then you did experience, you were impacted by their sin. Um, there, there are things that you dealt with. And here, it could be, it could be uh, disease, poverty, uh, influences, bad habits, resentment. All those things are impacts of someone else's sin. It doesn't have to be your parents either. That could be anyone that, that impacts us. So again, doesn't that seem unfair? And and here's the answer: we still have a choice. We don't automatically own those things. We don't have to live with those things because the power of Christ can help us deal with that too. Even though it's the impact of someone else's sin. Matthew chapter 25 is a good example. That's the parable we call it the parable of the talents. Um, the the Owner of the house gives five bags of gold to one person, two bags to another, one bag to the other. And he says, each of you take what I've given you and do the most with it. And, and the first two do exactly that. But the last one, the guy with one bag, he just buries it. He doesn't do anything with it. He chooses not to develop it. Now, what, what would most likely, actually this isn't the one given in Scripture, but today we probably hear people say, well, if I had five bags of gold, I would have done all kinds of things. I I was at a disadvantage to those other guys. And so I I couldn't do anything. And and the the owner of the house holds him accountable and says, you had a choice. You you, you had a choice about what you were going to do with what you were given. And so we, we don't all have exactly the same situations. And it is harder if our parents have put us in a position where we have felt some of the Results of their sin, but, but we're not victims, at least not as where our, our life needs to go because we have choice. We can choose to go with the one who is greater than he who's in the world, who can transform our lives. We can break the cycle. I heard a story one time about uh, a story that was done uh, with um, two daughters. They, they came from an alcoholic home. One daughter became an alcoholic. One daughter was a total abstainer, in fact. And so they went and they interviewed the different ones. First of all, they went to the daughter who was also an alcoholic and asked her to kind of share. And finally, the big question they wanted to ask every time was, well, how do you account for the fact that, that your sister's this way and you're an alcoholic? And her answer was, well, what do you expect from the daughter of an alcoholic? That was her answer to her her life situation. Then they went and they interviewed the other daughter, again, came to the main question they wanted to ask, how do you explain the difference and why are you an abstainer? And her answer was, what do you expect from the daughter of an alcoholic? See, they both had the same circumstances. They both felt the impact of their parents' sin, but they still had a choice. And so that's why even when God acknowledges that, he's He's not um, being unjust because he wants to take the choice that you make as when you surrender to him and help you overcome the results of the impact of other people's sin in your life. Now, you could choose to remain like the generation before as one of those who hate God. Because remember, that's the difference. Those who hate me and those who love me. So you could choose that, or you could choose to break the cycle, live in a relationship with God, be counted as those who love Him, and transform your life and your legacy. And so hopefully that at least has helped you get a little bit of handle on what seemed to be a contradictory verse, but I, I hope it does more than that. I hope it does what we talked about. I hope in in recognizing that and remembering that, you you see just... How much God saved you from. And it, it multiplies your appreciation for what He's done. I hope it also, <clears throat> as you seek to help other people break the cycle, the importance of telling them the whole story. I mean, by all means, tell them about the love and grace of Jesus. But but don't leave out the part of what he is truly saving us from. He's not just to make our life. Yes, he came to give us abundant life. But before the abundant life part, He saved us from a fatal flaw, fall. And, and quite honestly, I think that's one of the biggest obstacles to evangelism with other people. If, if we can convince someone they're lost, it's easy to tell them how to be saved. Now, it's not easy to surrender your life, but it's easy to tell them. And so here, here's one last bit of uh, counsel when it comes to that, getting that message across. I recommend that you don't go at some with, someone with guns blazing. We used to call it hellfire and brimstone preaching. Not that, that that's entirely, I mean, there's a place for that. But, but I would encourage you to begin with just your story. And that as you tell your story, part of what you tell them is, I was lost. I, I was in a pit I could not get out of by myself. And Jesus helped me do that. And, and, it, and that's a good way to introduce that truth to them, and in time, they will see themselves in your story, and you'll be able to share with them the good news, which seems a whole lot more good, after you've heard the bad news. Let's bow in prayer. God, thanks for our time together tonight. Thanks for your word. Thanks that you don't sugarcoat it, that you give it to us straight. Sometimes that overwhelms us, it confuses us, uh, but God, you are not just the source of truth. You are the truth, and so may we courageously pursue and understand and live out the truth that you've revealed to us in your word. And, and God, I know that will lead to us not only changing the legacy and transforming our lives and legacy, but God, there are thousands of young people that that surround this building um, that need your power to transform their life and their legacy. Give us the opportunity and the courage um, to be a part of that, uh, changing somebody's life for eternity. And God, as we worship with a few more songs tonight, may it be with even a deeper appreciation of what you saved us from and what you've saved us for. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.